Uh, we are still, thank you, Kevin. You know what? Amen again. Uh, we are still in the middle of this kingdom series. Hopefully, uh, next week is our last week with Pastor John preaching on authority. Uh, so get ready for that. Uh, but I want to start with power. Uh, how many of y'all know the kingdom is powerful? Right now, uh, we've spent a long time talking about the intricacies of the kingdom. And what it's exciting is now that we're on the closing end, we get to talk about the fun stuff. Right. So we've been building foundation, building doctrine, talking about all kinds of stuff. And I get to come out and be like, let's go be powerful. And so thank you, Pastor Thomas, for getting us through those dark times in Jesus name. Uh, so interestingly enough, uh, as we're wrapping up, we wanted to take you guys through this kingdom series. I want to take you from Matthew chapter five. And we're going to take you through to seven. Uh, but actually, upon reflection, I'm going to take us into eight. And next week, Pastor John will be finishing chapter eight. So we're actually just we're just going through Matthew uh, in a sense. Uh, so I'm going to start up where Pastor Thomas ended. And we're going to jump right in on the concept of power in the kingdom. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. I use that as an excuse. I had to burp. Thank you, guys. Uh, Matthew 7, 28, and we're going to read all the way to 8, 4. And I say all the way, but it's actually only a couple verses. <laughs> all right. And when Jesus finished these sayings, what sayings? Good, good news for you. These, these, thanks, guys. Uh, no, these sayings are, in fact, uh, what Pastor Thomas has been preaching the last five weeks across three messages. Uh, so this is directly the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just ended the sermon and the next verse we're picking up on. So these things is the kingdom. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus preaching the kingdom principles to people. It is the most laid out, obvious, back-to-back-to-back theological breakdown of what the kingdom of God is. So after preaching what the kingdom was, what does Jesus do? He lives it. Because if you preach about something but don't practice it, you don't know what you're preaching, right? If you talk about something but you don't live it, you really don't know what you're talking about. Can I get an amen on that? See, uh, what they say is, is if you understand something well, you can explain it simply. But more than that, if you understand something well, you can live it well. Amen. And so Jesus is about to show us some stuff. Jesus is about to confront the law. He's about to show us the power of the kingdom of God. And through the next two sections, with me talking about a leper, and next week Pastor John talking about a Gentile, you're going to see that the kingdom does not care whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile. You're going to say that the kingdom does not care whether you're sick or a mess or in your muck. The kingdom doesn't care how broken you are. The kingdom doesn't care how big of mistakes you made. The kingdom doesn't care how far away from God you are. The kingdom advances, and it meets us where we're at and then takes us to where Jesus is. That's why it's okay to be a broken Christian, but it's not okay to stay a broken Christian because the kingdom has power and power changes. And when it's a holy and healthy power, we grow in holy and healthy ways. But when the power starts going to the minds of men and we start using the gospel to fulfill our own desires and our own needs, it starts to corrupt. Because do not Get it twisted. When Jesus said a house divided against itself will not stand, if you choose to go against the kingdom of God, your house will not stand. So when Jesus finished these sayings, when he finished preaching these words, when he finished preaching the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So if you want to go out and cleanse the lepers, if you want to go out and cleanse the lepers like Jesus did, you have to be blessed in those beatitudes you gotta be you gotta be blessed poor in spirit and then you'll receive the kingdom ain't no one want to preach that (laughs) 
And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They had never heard this before. Jesus is very nicely and very subtly, and it's about to get not nice, but over Pastor Thomas, Jesus very nicely and very subtly confronting the Jewish culture. Because the kingdom, also don't get it twisted, the kingdom did come first for the Jewish people. Uh, for his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. Now, I want to just dump in and get all excited about authority, but Pastor John is preaching authority next week. So I'm going to jump that verse. I'm going to let Pastor John deal with it next week, even though I really want to get down right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but we're going to jump it. We're going to leap it, and we're going to keep moving uh, in Jesus' name, and not as their scribes. Jesus had authority that they recognized that the elites of their religion did not have. He was walking with a confidence that they had never seen before. A confidence that only comes by nature of knowing who you're talking about. Because I can confidently say things about my wife that you guys can only guess and speculate about. Because I know her in ways that no one in this room knows her. Right? And so when Jesus, who says, I have seen the Father. Anything I do is because I've seen the Father do it. He comes with a different kind of authority. But I'll leave that for Pastor John. Uh, now to chapter 8. Uh, when he had come down from the mountain, because he is preaching on a mountain, great crowds followed him. And all these Jewish crowds are about to watch some no-no stuff go down. It's very exciting. And behold, a leper, spotted and all. How is it talking? I have no idea. I'm just kidding. That joke kills in kids' ministry. Um, behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Okay. Saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he's not asking. He's letting him know. If you'll do it, I know I'll be clean. Why is he so confident? Because he just heard the same sermon we all heard. Except it didn't take five weeks. <laughs> Pastor Thomas isn't here for all these dicks. Um, and Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. I never really know when to put a semicolon down. So it's kind of cool to see one. Um, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately. It didn't take time. Jesus wasn't asking. He wasn't begging. He was an authority. And where there is authority, there is power. He said, I will be clean. Not I want to, will you be clean? I will. Oh, I will. So be clean. Isla, you better stop it. <laughs> she testifying over there. She's like, hallelujah. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. There was this testimony was so strengthened that there was proof that it had happened. Listen, this letter, Matthew, was written likely while this leper was still alive. It was in circulation when eyewitnesses could say this did not happen. And so Jesus, these words getting written down is because Matthew is confident. Go ask him. 
He might have been in their midst sharing the testimony. So we just we added this little story right there. But really what I think is happening is if you look at the uh, anytime the the this sermon is preached, because it's preached in other gospels as well. Uh, well, not this one, but the same concept of breaking down the kingdom. Jesus always steps down and he always begins to heal immediately. Um, and I find something very unique about that because the response to the kingdom was powerful miracles. Or let me put it this way. Where the kingdom was, power followed. So I want to give you just a couple verses. We're going to read them back to back. Uh, so we're in chapter 8, right? Let's go straight to chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And that says right here. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Because when Jesus preached the kingdom, healing and power followed. And so a, a, an unpowerful assembly of people is not preaching the kingdom. Right? Now, I get it. You look at sometimes in scripture and there are certain times where certain people didn't get healed, but those seemed to be intentionally teaching something else. So in, in the face of what it seems to be that when the kingdom is preached, healings happen, we should assume healings happen. We should assume if the, if the kingdom, where the kingdom is prophecy happens, we should assume prophecy is happening. Not everyone's a healer. Not everyone's a mouthpiece. Not everyone has the same gift. But whatever your gift is, there is power in you to operate that way. I don't believe I have the gift of healing, but I believe when I pray for people, they get healed. What's the difference? I don't really know. I could just be wrong about not having the gift of healing. But I meet certain people, and it seems like when they sneeze, 10 people get healed. And I'm like, I think that's what it means by a gift, like an abnormal aptitude, <laughs> right? For me, I just contend. I was telling Bobby today that God, he just answers my prayers. I just know that, right? Because there's a confidence in the fact that I know I'm a child of God. And Titus ain't asked for something yet that I didn't give him, even if he didn't deserve it. So after chapter 9, Jesus begins to anoint his own people. And he sends them out. And there is a theological just nest of stuff happening right there. But I'm going to ignore it and keep moving. So if we go to Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 to 8, we see something else interesting. Yeah, that was so perfect. Uh, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's anointed his people. And he's saying, now proclaim as you go. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. So notice with this, this is a back-to-back. -back. It's a single thought. Proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. If you go to the book of Acts, Paul preaches a sermon to a large group of people. And he looks at a sick man and it says that Paul perceived he had the faith to be healed. And so Paul prayed for him, and when he got healed, other people got the faith to be healed. And so we'll notice that Paul continues this ministry of Jesus, where when he preaches the kingdom, he then looks upon the crowd and goes, okay, how can I show God's power to prove that what I'm preaching has authority? And when he realized there was someone there who was primed, he began to pray, and God moved, proving as a great apologetic that what I preached was true. The kingdom is powerful. Uh, the Bible warns about false miracles in the body. And I always love when you bring that kind of concept up. We have to take it. And I think a good way to, a good way to handle that is to take that all the way back to Moses. 
right? And the Magi's could make a snake just like Moses could, but Moses' snake ate their snake, right? And so it's like the power of the kingdom is always more than the power of the enemy. And he still is out there doing his tricks and manipulating like he can. People are falling for it. We call these things like Hinduism and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, that there is false gospels being preached. And to certain degrees, there are false powers. But when the kingdom of God collides with places like that, they always cave. Remember, the most important verse for the season that we're in right now as a society, I believe, is where Jesus says is that the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church because the church is powerful. And this is why it's important. Again, you, we have bought into the lie that that verse means our churches are protected. And what it means is that the enemy is trying to protect himself from the church, but the gates can't prevail because gates don't push they defend. So the gates of hell are defensive things. Hell is out here scared, throwing up its gates, hoping that the church won't prevail, won't push through, won't come in because the kingdom of heaven is powerful. And so Bobby gets up and he shares a testimony. And, and in spite of not having money, he gives. And so what did God do? God met him because the kingdom of heaven is powerful. My wife and I were in a very similar situation uh, a couple years ago. We were, we were in a place uh, where we could not make rent. Rent was going to be over $1,000. And we looked in our bank account the day before, and we had $266. And your boy was scared. Um, and we were praying, and God wasn't showing up. And so my wife and I had a very real conversation. Here's how the conversation went. Do we trust God yeah. to provide? Yeah. And we said yes. But here's the thing. I looked down at the 266, and I realized that wouldn't even put a dent in what I owed. So I thought, instead of asking God to send 800, we'll give 266 and trust God to give over 1,000. Because we actually believe the kingdom had power. And again, I'm not telling you this is what you should do. I'm telling you it's what I did. Right? And so my wife and I cleaned out our bank account and rent was paid. To this day, we don't know who. We just got a letter and it just said, hey, don't worry about it this month. Amen. From the office. Right? But it was, and here's the thing. I want to tell you something sincerely. And I mean this for a fact. That would not have happened had we not given. Amen. It would not have. Amen. Because we put our trust in the power of God. We didn't, we didn't get scared. We didn't get shaken. We didn't run away. We put our trust in the power of God. And I'm not saying that anyone who follows Jesus is always going to have all the money that they want to have in their bank account. I'm not promising that. I'm promising that God will take care of you. We knew he would take care of us. And we said, Lord, no matter what it looks like, we trust you. And this time, it just happened to look like provision. But if it looked like a homeless ministry, it would have been a homeless ministry. But it didn't have to be because the kingdom is powerful. And when people get sick, the church's first response should be, can I pray for you? Yeah. Not what the doctor say. Yeah. You should go to the doctor, but can we pray first? Yeah. Just real quick. On your way. I'll get in the car with you. I'll pray while we're driving. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. Our knee jerk isn't God. Our knee jerk isn't power. Our knee jerk reaction is compromise. Yeah. Our knee jerk reaction is to be afraid. Because the flesh is real. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. That's probably out of context. Let me use it. <laughs> Zach will let me know later. But next, the kingdom of heaven is absolutely dominant. Listen, okay, 
Do you remember in the book of Daniel, we're about to go crazy, and if you don't remember, it's totally fine. In the book of Daniel, when Daniel's waiting for a prophecy, and, and the angel of the Lord shows up, and he's like, sorry, it took, not the angel of the Lord, right? An angel. Because the angel of the Lord is Jesus. Fight me. Um, actually, don't. I'll lose. I will lose immediately. I immediately apologize. Um, but... Uh, the kingdom, this angel shows up and says, hey, sorry, I was supposed to be here sooner, but I got into a fight with the prince of Persia. Great video game, terrible demon, apparently. Um, and, and so you, you look at that and you're like, wait a second, what does that mean? You got into a fight with the prince of Persia. It meant that there were principalities that were over areas where these angelic or demonic or lowercase g gods were ruling areas. I'm sorry, there is a spiritual war, and it's real. I know that makes us uncomfortable, but the reason why the church is so powerless is because we've stopped believing in a supernatural, powerful God. But if there is supernaturally good, the Bible teaches there is supernaturally bad. That's why I always take us to Colossians chapter 2, which says that Jesus made a spectacle of the principalities and disarmed them these angels that fell that had authority that had dominion sorry i'm using big words we haven't talked about a lot they totally did their thing but they lost their position they still have strength they're still wandering the world but they don't have position so they don't have legal right so when i walk into an area their gates are not going to prevail but do not get it twisted the gates are up kick them in be dominant because we have authority, because Jesus took theirs. You know, in the Bible, Jesus says that he is the inheritor of the nations. It's because he took the nations back from these demons. He inherited them. That's an end times promise. That's a resurrection promise. When he rose, he had it. You know what I'm saying? Which means that he rose, we had it. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 13. Because when's the last time we went to Leviticus? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever gone to Leviticus like as a preacher for these last three years. But here we go. Let's go. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. This is how the Jewish people viewed the man that Jesus just touched. Because the kingdom of heaven is dominant. No longer bound by what made the world unclean. Now the one who cleans is present. The power of the kingdom changed things. It changed the way we view certain laws. Jesus didn't get rid of the law. He fulfilled them. And so when this person who should be shouting unclean, unclean, who should be outside of the camp, comes to the teacher, the teacher doesn't rebuke him and say, hey, don't you know what Leviticus says? <laughs> Can I tell you, because of what Leviticus says, it wouldn't have been wrong to do that. But someone with more power was present and things were changing. Jesus wasn't just a different kind of man. He was a different kind of God that they had never seen or thought up. Notice now in time we try to say, oh, Jesus is like a ripoff of this God. He's a ripoff of this God. He's a ripoff of this God. That is historical nonsense. There was never a God who ever stepped into the scene with the same power and authority and teaching as Jesus. He is one. He is unique. And people try to 
change history to make Jesus look like he's kicking it with people like this. This was unheard of. It was absolutely unknown. It was absolutely unthought about, unthinkable, unimaginable. So when this teacher who just wowed them with their authority looks at the man who's sick and goes, I'm going to show you one better. And he touches the untouchable. And instead of becoming dirty, this man's nose probably appears again. That lip that had to be covered is probably present instead of falling off. Because the kingdom is absolutely dominant. Can I ask you? Here's my, let's do action point here. I'm closing my sermon. Is it? That's right. 30 minute sermon in your face, Isaac. (laughs) And I still got five minutes. It's 25 minute sermon. And I started late. So actually, it was like a 20-minute sermon. But you know what? By the time I'm done bragging, it's going to be a 40-minute sermon. So let's got to keep yourself humble in Jesus' name. Let's do an action point. Can I actually ask you sincerely? Isaac, will you go make this Holy Spirit feel Make it feel like the Holy Spirit's here. <laughs> PT6, we don't have a guitar player. But I want to pray for you. And uh, unless we set the mood, you can't feel God. You know, I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually don't believe that. I just think there's a sense of reverence that happens when worship music plays and it draws our attention back to God when we tend to wander. Is your relationship with God a powerful one? Does it actually impact things? I was in a circle with a group of pastors yesterday, and I don't mean this to knock on them in any way, shape, or form. Um, I was standing, and a member, uh, one of the pastors, his wife said, I'm getting surgery on Wednesday. Will you guys be in prayer for me? And everyone said, absolutely. And they turned around and started leaving. And I said, can I pray for you now? And her eyes got wide. Because she didn't expect it. And I don't think it's, and again, if I wasn't studying this, I would have walked away too. I was just in the middle of something where I'm like, wait a second. And I'm letting it actually change me. And I looked and go, wait, can we just pray and believe that God will do something now? And everyone turns back around like, oh, yeah, absolutely, right? And, and I even said the same joke. I said, ah, the only reason why I thought about it, I'm in the middle of a series, and it's like I can't show up in my church tomorrow if I didn't pray for you and believe God was going to move. I can't preach on this if I don't believe it. It needs to actually change things. Like, like when someone like Deacon Chad or, or Maxwell, who are faithful servants of this house, sit in this building week after week with MS, can we not get to the point where we say, no, actually, is this just God prepping us for a testimony? All kinds of brain scans saying, you a mess, dog. To actually now having verifiable brain scans saying, for some reason, you're not a mess. Like, is it possible? Is it possible that when you wake up in the morning and you're sick, we so set a precedent of healing that you'd be like, oh, I'm going to show up because I know I'll get healed. Instead of saying, I better stay home because I can't, I don't want to spread anything. Now, don't get me wrong here. If, you, if, you're, if you're like dying, you don't show up. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, you have a pastor show up to you. We'll send Pastor John immediately. Uh, and then he can bring the healed you back instead of, you know, bringing you into the group. Uh, but, but if that leper didn't go to the assembly of the saints, he never would have gotten healed. And so I want to ask, how many times do you think the, your answer to what you were going through or why you were missing church was here? But we just hadn't set a proper atmosphere or expectation that it can actually be answered here. Why is it that if we've had a long and tiring week, we won't go to church? But, man, we'll work the job that tired us out because the church isn't powerful. My wife and I got an hour of sleep last night. Why? Because children are beautiful and wonderful. 
but sometimes the devil starts to whisper in their ears. Uh, it was like the perfect tag team. Titus would wake up, and we, he woke up at two and started running around the house. And it was like, why? Why, why did that happen? Uh, absolutely exhausted. And then we finally got him to sleep, and I was sort of crying. And, and it woke up Titus. And it was a vicious cycle, and we finally got them both to sleep. And we're like, yes, hallelujah, absolutely. And then there was the loudest crash in our bathroom I had ever heard in my life, and it woke up both my children because my ferret got on top of my sink somehow and knocked stuff off the ledge like a cat. And so we didn't get to sleep, and we woke up. My wife and I were exhausted. My wife's like, I don't think I have it in me. And so we just started praying. And you know what? I've been energized all day. But I believe if I wasn't preaching... Man, there might have been a part of me that goes, well, I'll just miss this week. But no, like, or bank on the power of the Spirit. God can actually energize you. Hey, so wake up an hour early and pray. Well, you know how tired I get, Pastor. Pray about that. Meet God in the morning. Let him actually fill you with his power. Let him actually show you. Because truthfully, the reason why I keep getting back to this, why society is in the way and shape that it is, is because the church is limp. The silence is deafening. I keep saying that. We look at the problems, they go, somebody better do something about that. Maybe if I vote Republican, things will change. No, because then they'll be the mess, and then you got to vote Democrat. And we keep doing this ping pong game, and it doesn't ever change anything. Your politicians aren't going to change anything. Your Christ will. We're not even a part of a political system. We're part of a monarchy. And here's the truth. It's an old quote by John Calvin. I am not a Calvinist, but I like this quote. He says, wicked rulers are a sign that God is judging a nation. So if the nation is wicked, the church should rise and change things. Separation between church and state. Kick rocks. They shut me down last year for a year. They didn't believe in separation of church and state. They didn't care for a second. So quit caring. Quit letting that be a good argument. (laughs) It ain't. They're already talking about taking away our 501c3s anyway. Which just means if you guys give, I can't give you a write-off anymore. And if they start pushing and saying you can't talk about certain things if you're a nonprofit, we're not going to be a nonprofit. So settle it in your heart that there's more power in your God than in your tax return, right? <laughs> because I'm not going to back down on certain things that God is clearly speaking to this nation and to his church. This church is powerful. She is dominant because she is married to the ruler of all things. Or engaged, depending on your theology, and that's mine. Um, but I want to pray for you. 1 Corinthians 4, 19 and 21. This is actually the close. Like, for real, I'm just going to start praying. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Can you pause it right there? The church of Corinth had fallen into deep, deep sin. There were teachers that came along and began to lead the people into deep, deep sin. The early church was a mess. We're getting ready. We're studying Ephesians kind of as a leadership team right now. And there is literally a verse in Ephesians where Paul says, hey, when I leave, some of your leaders are going to rise up like ravenous wolves. He didn't even trust the leaders he left in charge sometimes because they were such a mess of people, which that'll preach because I feel it. Uh, I feel that, that. I feel very human. I read verses like that. I'm like, man, but Lord, ain't that bad. You know what I'm saying? Dang, there ain't a church in Vegas that's that bad. All those churches that offended you, they weren't that bad. <laughs> And so Paul looks, and they start teaching a false doctor, doctrine. They, fall, they start just subtly 
Just like the serpent in the garden. What did God really say? And what does Paul say? He says, I do not care about their talk. I want to see their power. Do you know that you can look at the writings of our early church fathers when heresies would rise up? And there would be actual books where they would write books explaining why that church's doctrine was heresy. And in it, they would say, and you know what my main proof is? How come if their doctrine's right, there's healings in our church, but none in theirs? You can actually read transcripts of debates between two pastors, and that was one of their points. How come when I pray God moves, he doesn't move for you? If your doctrine's so correct, how come when someone gets gout, they get healed in my church, but your people are limping? If your doctrine's so right. And that was their apologetic. That was their argument. I was like, oh, you think you're right? Cool. Arm back. You know what I'm saying? Probably not like that, but it's hilarious to think about. But that was, so Paul looks at this, and, he, and he's doing the same apologetic. I don't care about what they're preaching. Because when I preach the gospel to you, I came with signs and wonders and prophecies. Do they have that? And then I love his next question to them. Next verse. He says, for the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but power. Pause. If the kingdom of God didn't consist of talk or power, but power, but power, look at your personal life just for one moment. Are you a part of the kingdom of God? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to make you doubt yourself. I'm trying to wake you up to your gifting. When your coworker's sick, pray for them. But they might fire me. Then get a new job. The economy is like, we're in a recession now. It's <laughs> pray. <laughs> Give in spite. Trust God. That job ain't going to be more squat soon anyway unless the Lord does some stuff or the church rises up. The kingdom of God does not consist of talk but power. That child, your kid, who is far from the Lord, are you really walking in power and believing for them? But you don't know their, how sick they are. You don't know what they think about me. You don't know what they're addicted to. Well, then pray for healing of addiction. My story is that I was on meth and heroin. And a youth pastor set me free with the power of Jesus. Because it's not talk. This church, it's not about how well people preach. It's really about how well you guys love each other. If someone's here sick, pray for them. If someone's in the hospital, show up and pray for them. One of the greatest things I had ever heard is when Shai, which we should pray for today, when Shai went to the hospital to get the surgery that Wednesday we had groups and so since Adrian and uh, and Shai are in Ernest and Sadiqa's small group they did their small group at the hospital because the church goes and the church is powerful how often do people say to us why do you have so much access to that school it doesn't make sense well I'll tell you the answer because the church is powerful and God opened a door that man could not and we cried for it. We really, the pastors really wept for these schools. And we could not get in for two years. And we were begging God because he gave him such a clear vision. That was the secret. That was what he wanted us to do. And then the door just creaks open on its own. Power. But truthfully, if I can be honest, this sermon comes with a repentance from your pastor. I don't think I've led well in the, in the concept of power. Uh, the past two weeks, I've gone out of my way to really 
push in the place of power, really impart on the leaders, really uh, be confident in the giftings that God has given me. And if, if, there is a re if you feel that you haven't had access to walk in your giftings because of a reserved pastor, I want to sincerely apologize. But I want to tell you the door is open and it's on you if you walk through it or not. Sorry that I held you back. Sorry that maybe I didn't push this stuff enough or shout the testimonies from the roof enough. But the church is powerful because the kingdom is powerful and it is time to walk in power. Chapter 21, verse 21. Whoops. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? What is he saying? What's the rod? What's the rod? Discipline. But what is he talking? He's talking about showing up in power. What does that even mean? Right? He's like, if I come with a rod, I'm going to slam these guys. I'm going to deal with you. Or kick them out now. Keep reading. He, the next thing he says, I heard there are people that are doing things that even pagans wouldn't accept in your church. He's telling them, kick them out. If I come with the rod, I will remove them, and I'm going to deal with you. But if you can discipline your own body well, I'll show up in, gentle, in gentleness and love, and I'll fill you guys up. You want to know why that threat meant something? Because they knew Paul walked in power. They knew he was powerful because he preached the true kingdom. And he didn't compromise the kingdom for numbers. He didn't compromise the kingdom for respect. He didn't compromise the kingdom so people would love him. They actually hated him because he refused to compromise the kingdom. But these words should be fulfilling to our hearts because Jesus Christ said, if they hated me, they will hate you. Woe to you when the world loves you. That's a Bible verse. Dear Lord in heaven, we thank you that we are not here facing a dark world with no weaponry. We thank you that we have your Holy Spirit. We thank you that the church is powerful. We thank you uh, that we can actually take your kingdom and spread it through politics, through schools, uh, through court systems, through police departments, through uh, different cultures and different societies. That, that the, the, the acceptance and the openness that your word has, God, and the way that it lets us all in. But God, there is one way, and it is you. Jesus Christ, you truly are the only way. And I pray that as more and more that we bow and knee to your kingship, we would actually see power in this place. Verifiable, God. A way where people can actually get set free when they walk in this room. That spirits would actually flee from this place, and demons would actually be cast out. <laughs> where healings would actually happen, where, where prophetic words would actually take place, where people would actually speak in tongues with confidence and people would actually just be led by you, that our worship would be so full of your presence. God, I pray for hearts to be softened. I pray that we'd be set free. I pray minds would be unbound, that the power of your kingdom would come face to face with our struggles and it would be found wanting, that these struggles would bow in the face of a powerful God. God, we love you. We praise you for all things. And in Jesus' name I say, amen.